if I say that uh, we can be together as a nation only because we share a certain common language or a certain common religion, do you see the dangers that come with it? Hmm? Or we are one nation because uh, we are uh, Aryans. Hmm? That's how uh, much of Germany wanted it in the 30s and 40s. Hmm? So, that's the reason why nationalism, like any other ideology, becomes problematic. However, there is a very distinct kind of nationalism that can be very virtuous. But only that kind of nationalism. A nationalism that is not divisive. A nationalism that is not founded on what separates the two of us, instead founded on what unites the two of us. Hmm? Think of the various kind of nationalities you know of. Are they not all founded on divisions? A group of people, they get together and they say, we are a nation. We are a nation because we have a common shared characteristic. And therefore we are separate from somebody else. Think of why India had to be politically divided. What was Jinnah's argument? What was the two-nation theory? He said Hindus and Muslims, they are not just two different religions. They are two different nations. Because everything about them is distinct, exclusive. Hmm? So, when you have a nationalism that is founded on differences, then nationalism becomes toxic, violent, and leads to horrible consequences. So, we are saying, let there be a nationalism that is not founded on the differences between man and man, instead it is founded on what is common between you and me, man and man. Now what is it that we share? Now, now that takes us uh, into, into philosophy, rather metaphysics. What is common between the two of us? If you look at one person and then at another, you would only perceive differences, right? Even if you say that they share a common language, the dialect or the accent hmm, would be different. Even if you say that they share a common religion, yet they might be investing themselves in, uh, in different stories or different verses or different gods, So, by definition, one person is always very distinct from the other and the differences are countless. Man is different from woman, is he not? The young person is different from the old person. 
The rich says he is different from the poor. Right? The ones living in the East say we are different from the Westerners. Pakistan got made on the basis of religion, but then had to be divided on the basis of language. So differences never end. You find one commonality and behind that commonality, there would be ten differences lurking. The moment you found your nationalism on something that is not absolutely universal, you are just inviting discord, strife, hatred, limitations, and none of that is any good, obviously. Are you getting it? Huh? So, the Germans say we are one people, the French say we are another people. The Brits say, oh, we belong to Europe, but we still are a distinct class. We don't even want to be a part of the Euro. Why do we do that? Because the ego thrives only in differences. The ego loves to have boundaries. Ego is another name for boundaries. The bounded self is called the ego. Right? So most of the nationalism that you see actually arises from the ego and is therefore not auspicious at all. You need a nationalism that arises from something beyond the ego. And therefore I say let there be a nationalism based on the unifying principle. That unifying principle, as far as I have seen, is enunciated most clearly in Vedanta. I do not say it is not mentioned or pointed at anywhere else. But Vedanta spells it out quite neatly. That unifying principle is called the borderless self, Atma. That clarity which is not tainted by personality. When you say you know something, when you say you believe in something, when you say you understand something, that is never pure or absolute because that is colored by, marred by, spoiled by hmm? your particular personality. So the Hindu has one belief, the Muslim has another belief, the Christian has another one. Right? You believe in one thing when you are 15. By the time you are 35, your beliefs change. So our thoughts, our ideologies, opinions are not absolute. There is a long shadow of our personal self over them. And therefore all ideologies we said 
are not really worthy of being given an a very high position they cannot be seated as the absolute vedant talks of that which dissolves the differences between us that which dissolves the ego itself because the ego is what separates the two of us right when i say i i mean that i am distinct from you the ego is the divisive principle i implies separation the moment i say i i mean me versus the world i am there and the world is separate or distinct hmm so i say i you too say i and the moment we utter i we mean that the two of us are not the same iness is separation hmm therefore iness is suffering getting hence can we have a nation that is founded with the objective to dissolve iness no remain patient let's not declare this as too absurd or impractical or utopian can we have a nation founded with the very objective to create conditions in which the ego is dissolved or sublimated or purified only that kind of nationalism is proper let's create a nation that does not exist to quarrel with the others that does not exist to stand separate from the others let's create a nation that does not take its identity from resistance to the others where does pakistan for example take its identity from it says i am different from india and that's my identity and that's the reason they have to be compulsively hostile against india do you see that hmm the same thing applies to all the nations of the world the same thing applies even to india as it currently exists there have to be borders there has to be discord acrimony strife the threat of war and the threat of war pleases the population so much does it not in fact nationalism would lose its charm and romance if there were no wars wars consolidate the feeling of nationalism do they not when an enemy attacks you you feel so much more of a national identity right 
No, none of that is good. Obviously not good. So the basis of nationalism has to be an inward approach that takes care of the ego. The constitution must say that the state exists to uplift its citizens internally. Obviously internal upliftment would require conducive external conditions. To that extent, the physical world has to be taken care of. You cannot say you want to address somebody's ego problem without taking care of his or her environment. You'll have to take care of education, health, media. You'll have to protect the genuine interests of the various groups of citizens as they exist. No? And then you will say, ultimately, everything has to boil down to the pure self. Yes, there is a legislature, there is the executive, there is the judiciary. All these would function. There is the media. There are the laws and the sub-laws. There are the various houses of the parliament. There is a federal structure. All that is there. But the purpose of all that has to be the inner freedom of the individual. That's the proper nation. In which everything functions with the purpose of liberating the individual. Now is that not a worthy goal? Should not the nation be founded on that basis? Yes. So that's the kind of nationalism you have to bring to the new generation. Are you getting it? If you bring the militant kind of nationalism to the new generation, you are not doing them any good. When you talk of freedom fighters, you must talk of those who strove for political freedom. Equally, you have to talk of those who strove for inner freedom. Otherwise, it becomes just a case of one people fighting the other people out of hatred, resistance and otherness. And that's lead, that leads to a lot of falseness, artificiality. Then you have to ignore the facts, you have to rewrite history, you have to weave narratives, you have to somehow manage to cast imagination as facts and all that is uh, quite childish and funny, right? Except for the fact that it can lead to terrible consequences. So, bring the reality of life to the young. The reality of life as we live it, as we see it, is the reality of the ego. If they can see how the inner thing operates, they will also see its futility. Are you getting it? 
you don't need to then teach nationalism as something separate from life if they can see how life is founded on division and strife and suffering then they'll want to end it right and when men get together in their common mission of ending suffering a noble nation is born don't you want that kind of nation people are getting together so that they can together eliminate the suffering of mankind and since they are getting together they constitute a nation will that not be a very very noble and desirable nation please tell me yes or would you want people to get together to pelt stones on some other group is that the kind of nationalism that you want it could be stones when it comes to small groups and it becomes missiles when it comes to large and powerful groups right 20 people on one side pelt stones on 20 people on the other side and when these 20 people become a nation a nation of 20 crore people then they pelt missiles on the other 20 crore people right and they also then get together and form groups and coalitions so russia is scared of the nato and different kinds of groupings are happening all with the purpose of defending the self and defeating the other and the more that happens the more we come closer to catastrophe as a people are you are you getting it we do not want to repeat history in history nations have never been founded on the right basis and therefore those who could understand life like we said tagore had to reject nationalism they said nationalism is the worst kind of toxicity let's not reject nationalism per se let's just say let there be an all embracing nationalism let there be a unifying nationalism let there be an enlightened nationalism hmm? let there be a nationalism that is not uh, founded with the object to inflict suffering on the other you can inflict suffering on the other only if you do not see that you and the other are the one the moment you start seeing the underlying oneness it becomes impossible to inflict suffering on the other right can we as as indians come together on this noble basis and that would be the real bharat hmm? india cannot be about uh, Uh, geographical frontiers a location on the world map india is just too big to be contained on a world map india is is just 
too transcendental to be marked as a piece of earth. Who is an Indian? An Indian is someone who understands the very basis of life. The one who sees that you are born to be liberated. Only such a fellow deserves to be called an Indian. Because India, not, not the political country India, I am talking of the real India, I am talking of the very concept of Bharat. The real India is founded on understanding, realization, both. We want to understand. India is the, is the place where the urge to understand hit the human for the first time. India is the cradle of religion itself and true religiosity is about understanding life and therefore getting liberated from its bondages. That's who an Indian is, who wants to understand what this thing called the self is, what is meant by relationships, who am I, who is the other one, what is this thing called life, why am I alive, what is death. Only someone who is conscious enough, keen enough and courageous enough to go into these questions deserves to be called an Indian. And that's the kind of nationalism we need. A nationalism founded on understanding. Hmm? From where I am looking, you know, 140 crore people do not deserve to be called as Bharatiya. They may continue to hold the Indian passport, that's a separate matter. But when it comes to being Indian nationals, well, that's a very elite thing. That's a thing that requires a lot of qualification. Being a citizen is another matter. Desh and Rashtra are not the same. 